0: Welcome to the Thrive Space podcast, conversations that cultivate your heart and your company. I'm John Erickson here with my co-host, Dennis Humphrey. We're both business owners who love to develop other thriving leaders who understand how to lead from their hearts. Every month, we have an ongoing discussion with leaders like you and those who support you. Our guests range from company owners, experts in various fields, stakeholders in business industry, education, healthcare, among many other fields. Our desire is for you as a leader and for everyone you influence to thrive.
1: Hello, I'm Dennis Humphrey. Uh, Welcome to our 11th episode of the Thrive Space podcast. Uh, let me begin with a couple of important questions for you as a leader. How much do you think relationship conflict is actually costing your business? And how well do you and your team deal with crisis? Today, we're gonna highlight an area in our consulting that we believe is critical, especially right now in, in this environment. And it's a focus that can bring immediate and productive value to you and your company. And to help us do that, we have a special guest to join our conversation. For the past three decades, John and I have been involved in developing leaders in the U.S. and internationally. Of course, our focus is always on the heart of the leader. And yet we also collaborate with uh, many of the organizations and businesses those leaders guide and direct. We listen and discover together how to overcome the roadblocks, minimize loss, create efficiency, and plan the future direction. A difficult challenge in all of this, of course, is... The dynamic of relational conflict or a crisis that demands immediate intervention and a lot of attention. A crisis and conflict are two areas that need creative, uh, almost advanced preparation. You need to think about it ahead of time before you're in it and wise, careful attention in that moment. Over the next season of our podcast and blogs, uh, we're going to focus on crisis and conflict, and we're going to begin with a webinar on, on March 17, and we're going to really try to help support you in this area. We're going to bring an understanding and a perspective and, and hopefully provide some resources and tools to address crisis and conflict in ways that help reduce your costs, create a healthy, speedy recovery from conflict, and, and build your culture well.
0: Today, we welcome to our podcast, a longtime friend who has unique insight into crisis and conflict in life and relationships. Daniel Teeter is the president of Live at Peace Ministries in St. Louis, Missouri. We are excited about the experiences and perspective that Daniel is going to add to our discussion today.
1: Daniel, tell us more about yourself and how you became a resource for crisis and conflict. Give us your elevator pitch. What's your
2: passion and vision for Live at Peace? and the specific role you play as a leader. Well, John and Dennis, thanks for having me on, and it's good to connect with you guys again. My elevator pitch is, in some ways, a little bit unorthodox because I stumbled into this area of conflict resolution. I did not intentionally choose to focus on it. Through a series of my own life events and circumstances, I found myself suddenly in a context where I was noticing that my passion for culture and for seeing organizational cultures thrive was unable to be met without having the tools of conflict and conflict resolution. In fact, I would say what my passion is, is to help people see the relational code, as I call it, or the relational operating system that's driving connection in their systems of relationship so that they can thrive and flourish. And my heart and my hope is to, even in this conversation, help people to grow in their awareness of the relational matrix, because if there is one that does exist, whether or not you choose to acknowledge it, it still governs and guides you. And I hope to raise some awareness for you by the end of this conversation so you can maybe take the red pill uh, and see it.
0: Let's think about conflict in general. And first of all, I guess the question I would ask you, Daniel, and maybe you as well, Dennis, is conflict a moral issue? Is conflict good or bad? Is conflict necessary or unnecessary? Is it something we should always avoid? Is it something we should never avoid? I'm glad you
2: asked because I'm on a moral crusade to make sure this is all completely in certain black and white terms. No, absolutely not. I think I absolutely believe that conflict is neutral. Um I also believe that there's destructive conflict and there's also healthy conflict. In fact, I believe it's the leader's primary job almost thinking from like an organism standpoint to minimize the destructive conflict and to address it in healthy ways that bring repair and also though simultaneously to create a context of healthy conflict because healthy conflict enables and catalyzes growth. And so I absolutely affirm what you're saying, that it is not about it being all wrong or bad, but even that word conflict in the English language tends to evoke negative feelings immediately. And so what I try to do is in some ways kind of normalize it and say, if it's destructive, certainly we need to repair it and address it. But also as a leader, you have to be constructing a path forward to create more conflict that's healthy. Dan and John, one of the things that I
1: think is a challenge in conflict is people's response to pain. Quite often we judge pain as as immoral or bad, but we know that pain isn't immoral or bad. And in in fact, often most of our growth that we have happens in pain and think right from the beginning with our birth. And so one of the things that we try to address and help people with is recognize, yes, this conflict is painful, but it's not immoral, it's not bad. And if you can learn to work with the pain, accept the pain, we can work to a moral and right ending in this conflict.
0: Across the United States right now, even just this morning, in boardrooms, in meeting rooms, in leaders' offices, they're all making some hard decisions. Right now, we have decided to cut a major country in the world out of the global economy. And that has ripple effects across almost every industry in the United States, in finance, obviously. Everybody's looking now at where's my company at? I mean, where's my future? Where's my finance at? What if I do business with that part of the world? What if I do business with another part of the world that does business with that part of the world? What's my financial future look like? What about my supply chain issues? There's just a numerous reverberating consequences happening right now across our country based on what's going on in Europe right now. And so there's going to be a lot of conversations that are emotionally filled. There's going to be fear. There's going to be trepidation. There's going to be uncertainty in all these conversations. And I guess that's what I come to, Daniel, when you say conflict is something that is the process of hearts and minds that come together around something that needs to be decided and they all come from a different perspective and a different set of experiences. So when hearts collide, that's what we like to call it, uh, when hearts collide there are going to be lots of particles that fly around. Give us some sense of if you were sitting in one of those boardrooms or you were sitting in one of those meeting rooms in one of those companies and you were seeing that conversation starting what would be your concern? How would you want to help the leader have what you call a healthy interaction?
2: Yeah, so especially around some of these really polarized issues, one of the things that I would be wanting a leader if I was sitting next to them to begin to see is that the vulnerabilities that are at stake are very real. The identity needs that are at stake are very real. And so for each person that's sitting in that room, they are going to be reacting out of some sense of need or desire. And usually it's that need or desire that's blocked or unmet, which is where conflict's coming from to begin with. So the best place to start is by acknowledging people are coming from a place of need or desire. And that place of need and desire isn't necessarily a moral issue. It's simply something that needs to be acknowledged, moved towards, affirmed, validated cared for and to the extent that a leader can create a kind of environment that cultivates that kind of belonging where you say no put out on the table what you're thinking and feeling and we want to actually see you and hear you that will enable and empower people to make better choices and decisions. That's why I talk about as a leader's job is to kind of cultivate healthy conflict. It's coming from a book I was familiar with a while ago called Why Good Leaders Don't Take Yes for an Answer. And the whole premise of the book was a good leader creates constructive conflict and actually actively minds for it. They won't take yes for an answer because they don't just want mere compliance. They want connection because connection, if it is, the operating system that's driving us, which I believe it is, then that means you have to have a lens to make sense of the connection that's in the room when you're having the conversation. It's not just about the issue, it's about the connection that's happening around the
0: issue. We talked a bit about how shame affects that conversation. Dennis, you and I have spent many years talking around this idea of root motivations. And one of those root motivations is this, this need for approval, this need to not be abandoned. And that's kind of where you fall in the, the three root motivations. And Dennis, I'm thinking of someone who in that world would probably want to avoid a conflict, uh, avoid the pain and the discomfort of being in that kind of conversation. How do you navigate that as a leader?
1: And so it is correct. Approval-based people feel the pain of conflict powerfully and one of the challenges for leaders of approval-based people is creating an environment where they feel safe to speak up because if there isn't an environment safe to speak up or if a leader is just looking for all the people around him or her to say yes all the time what's going to happen is approval-based people are going to hide bad news because they very much feel the shoot the messenger kind of experience more acutely and so A leader needs to be thinking about that and and really providing an environment where a person can speak their mind and their heart into a situation and know that there isn't judgment here. There isn't disapproval for that because the last thing a leader wants is for someone to hide a crucial piece of information and then six weeks down the road without that piece of information, something bad is going to happen. Or something difficult or something's going to come off the rails so it's really important for leaders to understand the hearts of their people and their motivation especially those approval-based people really communicating well to them that they are approved of in their role and that they can speak up and they won't be the messenger that gets shot
0: and for me as a pride-based person someone whose basic need is respect When I'm in that situation, my temptation is going to be to believe that what my opinion is the right one and everyone else's is probably less than right. And I have to remember that there's a lot of good opinion and experience and expertise in the room and that I need to, one, be listening and, two, that it isn't about respect, even though that's the thing that's going to the button that's going to get pushed for me is if I feel like somehow or another you're not accepting what I'm saying I'm going to believe you disrespect me and it's going to be hard for me to respect you back and to actually listen. I'm going to put that all on a table. If I want this conversation, even though it might be conflictual because we have different opinions, if I want it to be healthy, I have to put down my entitlement to respect my entitlement to be right. And I have to listen and say, okay, let's let's see how you contribute here in a way that builds in a way that grows what our solution is gonna be, rather than simply just force you to just say that I'm right and, and walk away. When you think about a situation that, that goes beyond the healthy, you know, you walk Daniel into a situation where it's clear that people haven't been doing what we're talking about. They haven't been listening to their hearts. They haven't been uh, dropping their entitlements. They have been listening and talking around shame or even violent language. Um, now we're in a situation where the conflict has become unhealthy. Speak into that.
2: So when you have symptoms of destructive conflict, which is what it seems like you're describing, it can manifest itself in lots of different ways. In fact, I wrote down a couple of obvious symptoms and hidden symptoms that I'll just kind of run through. So the obvious symptoms of destructive conflict, right? So verbal attacks, personal attacks, you clearly see division happening and partiality occurring. There's disrespectful language using, perhaps you get so far as to some form of power abuse, hopefully not, but there's unrealistic expectations. There's lots of turnover in a company culture. If you're seeing it, these are sometimes symptoms, right? That destructive conflict could be present. Blame shifting, dishonesty, power struggles, resistance to change, lots of politics. Those are obvious, but I think the even unobvious ones, maybe speaking to more what Dennis was saying, is maybe it's as you would define it, as approval based people might function more on the hidden signs of this a spectrum of destructive conflict. You'll see silence in meetings. You'll see a lot of negative body language, a passive agreement as opposed to active engagement. You'll see inaction or a lack of transparency. Um, there's immediate yeses, there's clicks. And I can go on. There's apathy, avoidance of conflict, suspicion. There's, I guess I just wanna say this you as the leader have to have two lenses destructive conflict can happen actively. It can happen passively. You have to see both because it's easy sometimes to spot the obvious symptoms, but you also have to be attuned to the non-obvious ones. So when it's happening and when you're spotting these, the question is, how do you move towards helping to with these ruptures, create a context of repair? And so I do think that repair requires a strategy. And what I often do, it sounds like you guys have a way of kind of helping people think through repair. Um, The way I often do it is to say, let's think about it from a vertical uh, and a horizontal dimension. So the vertical dimension is I'll just give you a couple of steps. First and foremost, you look up. That means what you're doing is you're actually, and so I usually will draw arrows. And so the very first thing you do is you look up and you regulate and reframe. Because here's the problem when you're in conflict, If you get over a hundred beats per minute, you're flooded. Cortisol is rushing through your body. Your brain's getting hijacked. Your prefrontal cortex is going offline. You're living out of your amygdala and no productive, helpful conversation is going to follow. And so you often have to start from a a place of looking up. That means regulating and reframing the conflict as something that can be helpful and healthy versus it's just destructive. And I need to get out of this as quick as I can because it's painful. Um, kind of what you said earlier, Dennis. And so there's a few other steps that I can list out, but I think that I'll also mention John Gottman. Um, he's a marriage therapist. He's done a lot of research in his love labs in Seattle. I just always find it funny. He calls them love labs. I'm sorry, John Gottman just makes me laugh every time, but he would study couples and he can predict within 90% accuracy. If a couple will get a divorce by watching how they do conflict, he'll see what he calls if the four horsemen are present which are stonewalling, contempt, criticism, uh, as well as defensiveness. Those four, as he would call them, horsemen of the apocalypse, they signal the relationship will end if not. Uh, if there's not intervention that's taken. And so I, I bring that up to say he would also indicate that he would hook people up in his love lab to these uh, physiological indicators, oxygen levels, you know, heart rate, that sort of thing. And he actually would have couples observe and watch what's happening in their bodies when they're suddenly in these conflicts. And guess what? When they could see that they're flooded, he would just say, okay, let's let's stop. We actually have to regulate and do practice (laughs) self-soothing before we go any further. And so I also think even for leaders, there has to be a way to help have a lens to make sense of, oh, if people are flooded, they're actually not going to be productive in this conversation.
1: Daniel, I know one of the interests you have in the area of conflict is that of power dynamics. And in, in contemporary culture today, those of us who are leaders and leading organizations are really, really trying to create environments where there's great diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it would seem to me that a leader who helps their team or their company manage conflict well will be miles ahead in building a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion because they will know how to navigate with each other and their differences, whether those are cultural or religious, or even in their abilities. And so could you just speak a bit into that about how conflict relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, and power dynamics?
2: Yeah, there's actually been a couple of uh, books that would suggest something similar, such as like Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, or there's a book called The Power Paradox that describes a lot of research that's been done around power dynamics. And the irony is that people who demonstrate high degrees of emotional intelligence and they demonstrate these uh, ways of engaging power that are very focused on serving other people, guess what? they tend to gain more power, (laughs) shockingly enough, right? And it's in those spaces, hopefully, as we grow in our capacity to influence and engage others, we can actually use that stewardship of power to help serve other people that have vulnerabilities that are at stake. Daniel, we, we so appreciate you
1: and the work you have at Live at Peace. And as we close things out here, I wonder if you could just give us a summary of your passion for healthy and, and proper conflict resolution. Uh, call us to action. Uh, as leaders, what are, the, what are the things we need to be thinking about, be mindful of? What are the first things that we need to pay attention to in order to, to help our organizations navigate conflict
2: in a healthy way? I believe you live in a relational operating system in every single system that you inhabit, whether it be your family, whether it be your organization, whether it be a church that you attend, whether it be a group of friends, relational systems are everywhere. And that relational matrix is real. And at the core of that matrix, there is a. it's driven by our longing and need to be in safe, connected relationship. And I believe if you front load and see that need, you are going to be an effective leader of helping people to feel known and to feel cared for. Um, I also believe that you will enable people to flourish and to actually become the person that they are designed to be, that they are designed to, to cultivate beauty and goodness in this world. And to the degree that you're able to offer a safe, attached, connected base for them, you'll launch them into creativity, that is unparalleled and unprecedented. And so I would just encourage and urge every leader, view the responsibility of stewarding your power and stewarding the role that you have and the systems that you're embedded well, and do it with a heart that's motivated by love.
0: We've really enjoyed our conversation with you today, Daniel. It's part one of a a two-part conversation that we're going to have with you. So next month, we're going to get to hear more from Daniel, what he has to say about it, and what we're doing about addressing conflict as leaders and as people who run companies and businesses and organizations. But uh, today has been an amazing conversation, and we're looking forward to having you back next month, Daniel, to continue. If you'd like to reach out to Daniel, you can email him at dteeter at at liveatpeace.org or you can find us at the Thrive Space podcast and we'll get you connected.
1: Let's take all this and make it practical for you right now with a few questions to think about. Do you have a plan for handling conflict in a healthy way? What resources do you and your team need? And do you need support and how? And then lastly, have you registered for our webinar? on March 17th.
0: We're glad you joined us today. Our continuing conversations will bring to life ideas that will cultivate your growth and success as a leader. You can access our other episodes and more great information at the com. We publish a monthly blog that is available on our website, along with a number of other helpful resources. Once again, I want to remind you that Dennis and I are hosting a webinar on March 17th on how to walk through conflict in a healthy way. You can register for that on our website. That's at EdenBusinessConcepts.com. So we'll see you next month with Daniel as we continue our conversation around navigating conflict with wisdom and compassion. But for now, I'm John Erickson. I'm Dennis Humphrey. We'll see you next month. Take care.